Last time on Licensed to Parent. And we always tell them that, you know, it's not the parent's choice, it's the child's choice that got them in the situation that they're in. All we can do is love them, parent them, model them, encourage them, and point them in the right direction, but ultimately, it's their decision to make. And, you know, we try to reinforce that as much as we can. That's John Brocard. He and his wife, Fair, are parents of a former prodigal and they're founders of Prodigal Child Ministries. Today, part two of our conversation, bringing some hope to parents of prodigals on License to Parent. And welcome to License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered therapeutic program for teens in crisis. Our host is the founder of Shepherd's Hill, Trace Embry, and I'm Rich Rosel. Uh, John Brocard and his wife, Fair, are back with us. They were our guests last week. And if you missed that program, you can go to our website, licensedtoparent.org, and you can hear the entire program just as a preamble to today's conversation. But uh, it's uh, delightful to have uh, Fair and John back with us once again as we're talking about their ministry, which is a ministry to parents, but also an organization that can help parents find the resources they need, like Shepherd's Hill Academy, to get their kids the help they need. Trace? Well, John Fair, uh, thank you for staying with us for a second broadcast. I, I really do appreciate that. You sure. have a tremendous story. It. You've turned your experience with your own prodigal child into something that's now a tremendous positive for others. What encouragement can you give other parents of prodigals who don't necessarily feel their situation is leading them to do what you've done by building a ministry to families with troubled teens? Well, um, for parents that are hurting, that are, have kids in the home or out of the home that are hurting, uh, you know, we just, we just encourage them to reach out, to get help, to get resources, to get involved with a support group so they'll know they're not alone, they're not the only parents in the world going through this, where they'll get support, encouragement. And I, I, I'm not sure I'm answering the question exactly the way you you'd phrased it, but... Um, just encourage parents to get plugged in with some sort of support group where they can be encouraged and educated. Yeah, and I do want to talk to you about support groups here in just a bit. But, you know, I actually agree with with Hillary Clinton's ghost author uh, in a very real sense. It does take a village to raise healthy kids, but I vehemently disagree with how she defines the village. Uh, Where do you suggest parents go these days to find that authoritative community model in addition to the support groups that you're you're, you're putting together that so many reputable institutions and child care and mental health professionals are touting as being so critically important to Junior's emotional health? Well, we would first recommend that if the family is a member of a church to start with their local church. If they're not church people, if they don't have a, a, a belief, uh, we would recommend that they go to somebody that they trust that may have been through this before just to try to get some counsel from somebody that's been there and done that. Um, the Internet, obviously, is a, is a place to go to, but as you've indicated previously, uh, so many times that there, there are bad reviews about good programs on the Internet, so I don't know that you can necessarily rely on that totally. If they have a therapist that they're seeing, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you know, go to them for possible referrals. Um, and possibly also talk to another uh, a family who's been through something like this because they, they understand maybe their child has been away to a program or maybe their child has 
found a counselor that has helped them a lot. Um, that's kind of how our ministry started because we couldn't find anything, basically. And so we realized there was a need out there to have um, resources available to parents so that, um, you know, like, for instance, when I get a call uh, from a parent that's in crisis, I can point them in the right direction, at least through a counselor, a ministry, um, a support group they need to be involved in, or if they need treatment, I can put them in touch with a person that works at a treatment program that we feel might fit their need. You know, you mentioned something that uh, that is a bit of a challenge for us as parents trying to find other parents who've been through this. I know every spring there are banners put up in people's yards in my neighborhood about, you know, my child is a proud graduate of whatever high school <laughs> right. or college or whatever. Most people don't put banners up in the front yards to say, my child just enrolled in a therapeutic program for troubled <laughs> teens. That is so true. So um, I guess one thing would be to encourage families, if, if you're a family and you have been through through this, share your story in your local church. You really could help a lot of other people. Oh, that's but true, but I'm guessing, uh, Fair and John, that uh, that one of the things that your organization does is it connects people, or it at least lets people know here are some of those programs you can find. Do you all have like a database of of all the reputable? Uh, residential programs across the country, or, or yes, what do. are your Actually, resources? We started okay. creating this list back in 2000, so it's very lengthy online on our website. We have treatment programs listed. We have reputable therapists and counselors, addiction specialists, um, and we have them divided um, by Christian, non-Christian, under 18, over 18, so you can you can go there, but I know it's very overwhelming, so that's where I would love someone to call me, and I can help them narrow that down to maybe six, six programs that they need to look at. Um, you know, there's not a perfect program for everyone, and some child may have a great experience at one program where another might not, so it's, that's where it's up to the individual to get the, you know, put in what they need to get out of a program. But um, that's why we devised this list um, to help parents narrow that down. And, you know, Rich and uh, Trace, the other thing is we don't charge for what we do. We would rather see the family spend that money for treatment, or if we can't help them, we can refer them to a specialized consultant, whether it's an ed consultant or somebody else that might be able to help them uh, if we're not able to help them. So what we do is... The Lord's put this on our heart to do. We don't expect anything in return. We just try to point them in the right direction. Excellent. You guys are true angels, I can tell you that. At West Point, there are, there are 12 virtues carved into 12 granite benches there at West Point. And Rich's son went to West Point, so he knows what yeah. I'm talking about. Uh, these virtues that, that are written, uh, carved uh, rather, uh, in uh, these benches are compassion, courage, dedication, determination, dignity, discipline, integrity, loyalty, perseverance, responsibility, service, and trust. Yeah, now, with the, wonderful, every one of them. Every one of them, contingent upon the premise that God exists and we aren't him is in the equation. In other words, with the premise that God exists and we aren't him in that equation, these virtues are just that, they're virtues. Without the premise that God exists, these 12 virtues are principles promoted by any street gang, any cult, or any drug cartel. Even the term compassion is turned inside out when the gang, cult, or cartel becomes a kid's final authority or their god. With so many other common terms being hijacked and, and redefined these days, 
What counsel can you give parents that would assure them that their kids are going into life with all the right premises and proper definitions that promote solid mental health, well-being, and goodwill toward humanity? Wow, Trace, that's, that's a big loaded question for, for Fair and me. Uh, I would just say this. Um, it all starts in the home. It starts with the mother and the father. I mean, we, we are entrusted with these children for a period of time, and it's, it's, uh, we must ingrain in them and teach them and model for them all the virtues that you just mentioned are at West Point based on the fact that God is our Heavenly Father and we are created and made in His image. And if we don't teach them as parents, I think you mentioned before, uh, somebody else is going to teach them something else. Yeah. So it starts with mom and dad, and if mom and dad don't do it, you know, the kids are starting out with a strike. Public schools, you pray you get a teacher that is grounded uh, and that's teaching biblical truth even in in a public school. Um, Who their friends are, get to know who the parents of their friends are, what what do their parents stand for. That's important, yeah. It, it's tough. It's very difficult, but it's, in my opinion, it, in a, and I see this in the courts all the time, it starts in the home. And if there's a broken home or there's not a role model in the home or if the kids aren't being raised by family but they're being raised by fictive kin, it's very hard for them to have the values that they need to succeed in life and to live yeah. a God-honoring life. Yeah. I know you guys deal with secular folks too. Where do you guide them as far as their premise for, you know, their 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 moral compass as to where does that begin in the secular home? Well, we know that God uses secular programs as well as he uses Christian programs to help sure. people, just like God uses doctors that are non-believers to to help people. So, our whole point is if we're dealing with people that don't have a faith or their child doesn't want to go to a faith-based program, we honor that. And we try to point them to the programs that we still think are honorable programs, programs with integrity, that have a good track record. Uh, And we just, you know, we always tell parents to to pray that the Lord will uh, redeem their children, bring them to their senses, as the the Luke parable goes, uh, that the Lord will bring them to their senses. And until that time, protect them. And we, we're not ashamed to share our faith with, with people that are secular, but, you know, we have to respect the fact that if they don't have a belief in God, that, you know, God will somehow use the experience they're going through to draw them to him. So that's, that's all we can do is just, uh, you know, plant the seed and pray for the harvest. Right. We're talking today with Fair and John Brokhard, parents of a former prodigal child of their own, but also founders of Prodigal Child Ministries. More information about their work is available online at prodigalchildministries.org. And incidentally, today's program is uh, number two in a conversation with John and Fair. Last week, they were our guests as well. And if you missed that program, you'll find it on our website at licensedtoparent.org. A quick break, then we come back with more on Licensed to Parent. Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis, is celebrating 20 years of ministry. There have been many distractions in our work through the years as a result of a four-lane highway that divided our land. As a result, plans are underway to develop a whole new campus designed to improve our students' therapeutic experience away from the highway noise, along with up-to-date infrastructure and staff offices, all to help smooth out the day-to-day operations. 
The five-year two-phase plan will begin with a new dining hall, followed by two new school buildings, also containing a new studio for licensed to parent. Please consider partnering with us, building together a new and improved Shepherds Hill Academy. Learn more and make your gift today. ShepherdsHillAcademy.org slash building together. That's ShepherdsHillAcademy.org slash building together. And thanks for helping us provide healing to teens in crisis. Hi folks, Trace Embry here, host of the Licensed to Parent broadcast and founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We've all heard about modern day miracles, mostly from mission fields. Frankly, I believed about half of them and experienced none of them until about 30 years ago. Christ truly became the Lord of my life. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill is a book that wasn't written as much as it was recorded. It's the true story of how God used a handshake, my family's last $200, and our 30-year odyssey of bumper-to-bumper miracles to acquire a 60-acre farm that was used by the devil and turned it into a 250-acre globally recognized healing ministry for God. I want all people to know that Jesus Christ is still in the miracle-working business for those submitted to his word, will, and way, and who properly understand what faith truly is. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill, an extraordinary odyssey of divine interventions by Trace Embry. Learn more at LicensedToParent.org. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with troubled teens and by extension with their families. We mention our program quite a lot. Let me tell you how to find out more about it. Just go to our website, licensedtoparent.org, and there you will see a link to Shepherd's Hill Academy, and hopefully you'll find all the answers to the questions you need. But should you have more, feel free to reach out and contact us, and we'll be glad to do anything we can uh, to help you get the help you need. Our guests on today's program and on last week's program as well are Fair and John Brocard. They are founders of Prodigal Child Ministries, and you can find them online at prodigalchildministries.org. Trace? Fair, Prodigal Child is in uh, the Atlanta area, but for parents listening to this broadcast right now in California or New York or wherever, can Prodigal Child Ministries help them also, and if so, how? Yes, all they need to do is pick up the phone, give us a call. My phone number is on the website. I'll be glad to help them. We have a support group that meets twice a month at our church on um, the second and fourth Thursday night of the month. And we bring in speakers, professional speakers, and also people that come in to share their personal story. And this support group, um, we want to give parents hope and encouragement. We do meet live, but we also record the program, and those programs are listed by topic and by speaker on our website. So people can listen all over the country um, to those recordings. Um, we also have a 10-week Bible study group that is offered by Zoom um, that's offered twice a year in September and also in January. We use two different curriculums for that Bible study, so parents can join in if they live out of state. We do have some that are offered in home that, for people that live in the metro Atlanta area. So that's two ways that people across the country can actually um, get information and resources. Awesome. In addition to, to all those things you offer, Prodigal Child, uh, tell me why uh, uh, talking with other hurting parents in a support group 
is so important uh, and, and maybe to the point of not even having to pull a trigger on a residential program? Well, I think it's just important, especially with the 10-week Bible study support group that we offer, that parents realize that they are not alone. And, you know, usually these parents will walk in and they're just kind of hesitant. They're afraid. They don't know anyone. And they walk in. And the first week, you know, we share our story to kind of help them feel comfortable, that, to let them know they're not alone. But by week number three, even the dads have kind of bought in to realize, hey, I'm not all by myself in this, and they join in in the discussion, and those support groups, we try to keep them small so that they have a chance to talk and get give feedback and give their own prayer requests. It's so important for them to realize that, you know, here's a safe place where I can come and get the support that I need. And Trace, also, we by talking to other parents, they will learn what the parents uh, of their child did right or wrong as far as treatment is concerned. And we have a lot of resources of where we can recommend people go to get evaluations so their son or daughter will be properly recommended to whether it's an outpatient program, an intensive outpatient program, or a partial hospitalization program, or a residential program. So, you know, we just want to be sure they get the right diagnosis so they can pursue the right course of treatment. Yeah. You know, the family is so scattered today. Uh, it sounds like you guys are doing what families used to do. It used to be that, you know, when parents had a troubled child, their extended family and or friends would get involved to offer help. Uh, when that stalled out, the family pastor or priest was the go-to guy. Uh, generally speaking, uh, doctors got involved only when clergy and, or sometimes the extended family suspected Junior had a true psychological or emotional condition and usually as a last resort. Today, doctors and therapists often seem to be a parent's first option. Why the shift? And do you think this is a good thing? Uh, I guess the shift would be there's no resource at their local church if they go to church. Um, most local churches will have a pastor on staff that helps with family counseling, crisis issues. If they don't have that on staff, then they're going to turn to, okay, well, Maybe my son's doctor can help me or my son's therapist or my daughter's counselor. Um, I, you know, Trace, I don't really know why the doctors have become the primary, if, if that is true, the, the primary source of referrals here or, or help. Um, they, are, they, are they are very important to help, but um, we, we, we kept it within family first. We went through our church first. And we got referrals to Christian counselors, and that's how we ultimately ended up getting Bubba the help that he needed through a godly Christian counselor. Well, I think you've done it the right way. I think you're doing it the right way. Uh, because today it's said that one in 10 kids will be on some kind of behavioral med by the time Junior turns 18. One in mm. 10. I mean, that's an epidemic no matter how you slice it. Mm -hmm. uh, other nations are looking at us like we're a society of pharmaceutical freaks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w would you venture a guess at what percentage of kids who are currently on meds wouldn't need them if their parents were more intentional in spending the quality and quantity of time that kids actually need to thrive in the first place. Yeah, I... I, I well, I would think that's probably um, true because to, in today's society, in today's culture, so many things are accepted, as you know, and kids are very, very confused. Oh, boy. Um, and parents need to spend more quality time with them, one-on-one -on -one with them, which is not happening today. You know, in most homes, both parents are working. They're not at home when their kids come home from school. 
Most kids go directly to social media devices um, instead of having that sit-down quality time with their parents or with grandparents, and that's so key, Um, and I think that's where things have gone astray. Trace, maybe you can respond to this. Uh, Just in the past few years, it seems that so many more behaviors and, um, I guess, apprehensive attitudes have now gotten labeled. So it's like, I've got this disorder or I've got this, uh, you know, syndrome or or whatever like that. I mean, I I remember uh, my youngest son and and my, my daughter, who is our youngest, several years back, it's like half their friends had 28 different conditions. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I'm, it's like, I'm sorry, I just thought that meant you were shy, you know, or whatever. Uh, speak to that. And, and what are you seeing at Shepherd's Hill in that regard? Well, in, in many cases, and I'm not saying all cases, there's genuine mental illness. I think uh, if there's anything systemic in America today, it's not uh, systemic racism, it's systemic mental illness. And I think the statistics pr- uh, pr- prove it out. Uh, but in many cases, it's not a syndrome, it's just plain sin. And mm, we've conflated okay. that as well. And, uh, uh, you know, I think there's one reason why when kids come to Shepherd's Hill on bushloads of medications, 70% are leaving here med-free. Because we know with, uh, you know, things like epigenetics and other, other things, uh, that all outside stimuli affects body and brain chemistry. It affects us at the cellular level, okay? At the cellular level. And we know that we're stimulating these kids with stimuli that is good for their DNA and it's good for their their spirit life mm. and 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 I, I think you can't pull one out of the other. It's like salt water. There's there's the the spirituality is is in the physicality, and uh, you you can take the spirituality a part of what we're doing, and it will affect the physicality. And you can see yeah. it on their countenances. You can see it in the way they they posture themselves. And so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but uh, it's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Fair and John, uh, are you seeing the same thing in your interaction with parents and with uh, with residential programs? Yes and no. Uh, it it just it just depends on each circumstance. Each family's got a different uh, set of dynamics. So um, we do see a lot of children being labeled, and we do see a lot of children on meds. Kids, adults, uh, young adults on meds. Um, it's just a hard question to answer in, in a general yeah. in a general sure. sense. What do you guys think is causing this? I mean, there's many causes, but a preeminent cause. Well, I'll be honest with you. I think it's a breakdown of the family. Absolutely. I think it's the number one cause is the breakdown of the family, the lack of a mother and father in a home, uh, raising their children correctly, raising their children. They spend too much time on social media, television. Um, I'll tell you another thing that I see in my law practice is these violent video games that young children are exposed to uh, are not good. I had a young man that was charged with uh, aggravated assault. He shot another kid and didn't try to kill him. He just shot him with a pistol. And when I asked him about why I did, he said, well, I really wanted to see if he bled in real life like he does on the video game. You know, and that was people, his honest answer. People are going to hear that and they're going to say, "Right, right." Listen, no, I was a police. That's true. That is an I absolutely was a true statement. That that is exactly what happened to that young man, and that's exactly the reason he told me is he just wanted to see in real life if he if he bled the way he did on the video game. He had no animosity toward this person. He just wanted to test it. 
That is way more true than virtually any of our listeners understand. Uh, as a former policeman, uh, you know, I've looked at some of these police shootings and, uh, you know, why uh, uh, they're so popular today. And, and, and I'm telling you, video games, they have a big deal to do with this. And I, I don't have time to go into it all, but just trust me, you're absolutely right about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, boy, I mean, spot on with all that. Uh, the other thing I think, in addition to the breakdown of the family, though, uh, back to my original question, is smartphones. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't find any good reason that the, even our government says you can't pull the lever on a slot machine until you're 21 years old because of the addictive nature of that device. That we're giving our kids as young as, you know, sometimes younger than six years old. And by the way, Shepard Hill is getting calls for kids at six years old with porn addictions. So wow. we're, we're giving our, our, our little kids or, or our teenagers these addictive adult toys that you can find true death videos, uh, you know, the, the creepiest, most perverted kind of pornography, uh, you know, the Charles Mansons and the Jeffrey Dahmers and the Adolf Hitlers of the world at the touch of a, of a, of a, of a button, 24-7, unfettered access. And where Christian parents are handing these devices over to their kids, financing it nonetheless, thinking that... You know, it's a great babysitter or, you know, I'm addicted to my toy. I can't really blame Junior for being addicted to his. How in the world are we, are we justifying giving these addictive adult devices something that's on par, to drop, on par with dropping your kid off the seediest side of town and say, have a, have a blast, you know, call me when you're done. Yeah. How are we doing this? It's so systemic in America. How, can you speak to that? Maybe speak a little sense into, into, into the people listening today. Well, I agree with you, and, and I think if parents are inclined to give their child a cell phone that they need to put all the parental controls on that they can to monitor what they're doing, what they're looking at, how frequently they're on there, um, and, they need to, and the parents need to check the phone daily. Um, everybody's giving a cell phone to a kid now. I mean, that's just the way it is. You walk around uh, a public street, and half the people have got their head down looking at their cell phone, not looking when they're crossing the street. Oh, yeah. I was and, in Atlanta uh, the other day. There, yeah. There's got to be restrictions. There's got to be, again, it's, it's the parent. The parent's the one giving it to them, not the government. The parent's giving them the phone. The parent needs to have controls over it, needs to have software safeguards on there so they can monitor and prevent the child from even inadvertently clicking onto a site that's going to be very dangerous to them. Uh, I don't know. It's, um, like you said, I think we need more time to discuss all that. Well, we're going to land the plane on that note, I think. Uh, Fair and John Brocard have been our guests. They are the founders of Prodigal Child Ministries, and I would encourage you to check them out if you are looking for residential care or for help with your prodigal child. You'll find their organization online at prodigalchildministries.org. They're based in the metro Atlanta area. And uh, Fair and John, as, as Trace mentioned, I think at the start of our last program, it's been far too long. We're delighted that you've carved out some time to be with us today on Licensed to Parent. It's been our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. We sure appreciate it. God bless you guys. Well, in our last remaining moments before we leave you today, if you're dealing with a prodigal child in your life, let me remind you that we are here to help. 
As we say at the start of every one of our programs, Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of our parent ministry, Shepherd's Hill Academy, which provides a year-long, Christ-centered residential program for teens that doesn't just focus on getting the teens back on track because we know that that isn't enough. We work with the entire family to heal relationships and to develop healthy home environments for these teens to return to. Now, if after listening to last week's program and this one, you feel that your family may need to talk to someone about the possibility of entering a residential program, we invite you to contact us. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, if you'd like to find some free resources we have to offer, or if you think your family could benefit from our residential program, please visit us online at LicensedToParent.org. That's LicensedToParent.org. There you'll find links to Shepherd's Hill Academy and our many other resources, and I do hope that that'll be helpful for you. Next week, Michelle Hill joins Trace to begin a two-part interview with former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp and how he's helping parents stand while facing the blitz. For our host, Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you to come back next time to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.